I'm in a low man. I am a compulsive overeater. So um, I usually have something so planned to share. When I'm asked to share, I usually make a little guideline what I'm going to talk about, theme, do my research, um, and I'm really prepared. But this last week has really thrown me in a way I've never really been thrown in program that's kind of correlated with the last three to four years of what I've been struggling with, and I didn't really know how to frame it other than just talk about it. So I apologize for everyone in here and those listening on the podcast if this sounds a little scattered, but um, hopefully it will bring hope to someone who is um, potentially going through the same thing. Um, I know what I want to start with, though. I recently did my sixth step with my sponsor, and, um, you know, it, God came up a lot. So I guess that is the theme of my share today, uh, God, the core of this spiritual program. And um, in step six, there, you know, I read a part of a paragraph in the 12 and 12, and I wrote about it. And the paragraph I read was, uh, as we face step six, we recognize and acknowledge our human fear of change. No longer will we allow fear to keep us from doing what is best for us. By the time we reach step six, we're used to doing the very things we're afraid of. So my response was, I first read this and said, change isn't my problem. I want change for so many things in my life, especially right now. The key word is fear. It reminds me of how last year I had to face one of my biggest fears and let go of my concept of a higher power that I've had since childhood, which included me stopping going to church every Sunday, as I've done since childhood. It was one of the scariest surrenders I've had to make in recovery. And I'm still surrendering. Uh, I still find myself not going to God for everything and really using recovery and doing the next right thing as my higher power. Uh, But I feel like an atheist. I feel like I focus on the human hand in everything rather than God's hand. I don't talk about things being meant to be or what God wants for me. But instead, I just focus on facing life on life's terms and being teachable from everyone around me. On the one hand, it feels the sanest I've ever been, but on the other, it still feels scary. The other day, I had this thought, uh, if I die today, am I going to hell? Because according to the religion I was raised in, because I don't have that deep relationship with God that I used to have, that could happen. And that still feels scary. Um, Just reading that feels like a a different experience of writing it. But, you know, the fear is is there. Uh, When you've grown up with a concept of God, the God that brought me to this program, and I believe struck me abstinent pretty quickly, and to have to surrender that, uh, and surrender that safe space that I had every Sunday and just in general, felt uh, really scary and still does. Uh, I've tried to go back and I find um, the insanity coming back. What it is, and I I explained it at a meeting, um, 
it, I relate it to the parking spot God. Um, <laughs> so, you know, a lot of people talk in program, and I, I think it's great that, um, you know, sometimes they'll be praying for a parking spot, and that parking spot would show up, and they're like, thank you, God. You know, thank you for taking care of me. I really needed this. So what happens is I take that, and then I expect it all the time. And when God doesn't give me that parking spot, I get so angry and resentful and confused, and I feel like, am I not meant to be here? And it just gets to be this big thing, and it's like I, I start turning God into a genie. Like, you should grant my wishes. It's always backed up by, I'm a good person, I work a good program, I do the footwork, I do everything you tell me to do, why can you not just give me a parking spot? <laughs> um, but what's happened now with parking spots in particular, I've noticed, is that <laughs> uh, even today, I, uh, I got here early so that I could park far away, where I know there's plenty of free spots where I don't have to pay for two hours. And I walked, and I love that because I love walking. I, I actually really need it to just connect with the ground, especially before a meeting. And that's kind of how I took away this idea of God in parking spots. And I think kind of in a larger metaphor is, is how I, I felt like I had to take God out of the equation, if, if that makes sense, and really put um, recovery and gratitude first. Um, but, you know, and the struggle I've had these past couple years is, and I, I have to get specific, I hope you don't mind, I won't talk about outside stuff too much, but basically I'm, I'm a writer, and uh, it's a creative career that is, has been a big challenge, but it's a career that I felt was brought to me through recovery and through God. Um, I was, you know, born writing, I was always a writer when I was a, a kid, um, and, you know, when I first um, got abstinent, um, I actually had to stop because I couldn't really handle um, being in my head and isolated for hours and hours. In fact, I had to do the extreme opposite. When I first got abstinent, I worked in retail and I worked in uh, fitness. So I was on my feet all the time, interacting with people, very connected. And for me, I felt like that really helped strengthen my recovery in those first couple of years. Um, but, you know, I felt the writing creeping in, and, uh, you know, I had an amazing sponsor. I just talked to her yesterday at the time, and this was in Miami. That's actually where I got abstinent. And um, she just said, you know, follow that, follow that. Maybe that's God speaking to you and saying, you're ready. You're ready to go down that path. And so I did the footwork, and the footwork looked like I uh, went back to school, got my MFA in writing. Um, before, when I was um, not abstinent, when I went to school, I slept through most of my classes because I was recovering from whatever sugar hangover I had before. The only thing I really cared about was getting my sugar fix after class or getting my diet fix, um, exercise bulimia. And school just, you know, I did well-ish, but it just didn't matter. So now in recovery, now getting my MFA in a career that felt it was brought to me by program and by God. I made sure to show up every day. I made sure to work a strong recovery. I made, I want to say, a 4.0. I mean, I made pretty much perfect grades, but again, it was just showing up um, and really um, doing everything I was told, and I really excelled. I graduated top of my class. I won an award for, like, most outstanding student. That's literally what I said on the plaque. <laughs> 
Um, I made a, a film that I wrote that won this huge award. They actually flew me to LA. Um, and it just seemed like, okay, this is it. This is, this is me doing um, what I've, this is, these are the promises coming true, you know, from working recovery. And then um, things got confusing. I, I don't want to get too much into it, but, you know, it's, it's a tough career. And, you know, I see that and I understand that. But again, I just felt like if I do, as I'm told, if I talk to fellows, especially fellows in the same industry and really connect and show up, everything will be okay. I'll be taken care of. Um, but that's not how things panned out. You know, I've talked to a lot of people in this room about the struggles, especially the last three years since I moved here. I relocated to L.A. about three and a half years ago and to fully throw myself into this. And um, it just created a lot of wreckage, a lot of wreckage. And so I found myself um, kind of this past year really having to, my tail between my legs, kind of go back to the regular workforce and try to get just kind of a regular day job and really, you know, trying to make that work. But because I focused so many years on my creative career, my resume and experience were a mess. So then that became really difficult. I found that I was not just getting rejection in my creative career, but I was getting rejection and just trying to get day jobs to get me through. And, you know, it really hit a low point when, um, I want to say like last Tuesday, I was uh, interviewing for a potential job, a job that... Um, in the job description said, uh, high stress, very, very stressful. You, are, you have to be on all the time, extra long hours, thick skinned. Um, this is not for the week, you know, it's one of those. For this really big name company, and it's like two jobs roll into one, and it was all I was getting. And it was one of those things where, um, I know that's not the environment that's most healthy for my recovery, you know. But the reality was, this wasn't, I wasn't getting any other offers. And, um, you know, a lot of people, including my sponsor, talked me through it. And it was really a, a fellow from Miami who has walked with me through this and has been through a similar experience. And at the beginning of her career, had to take those types of jobs. They really detest her recovery. I was there when she was on the floor in tears thinking she couldn't do it and she's like you know I made it through it and you helped me through and you know what I can help you through this just take that step take that you have to take a step and so I, I said I applied for the job and I said I'm ready to start when you are and I found out the next day I did not get the job and I saw and again things were all quiet and I felt like I just didn't know how to feel. I, it was one of the worst nights, rock bottom. On top of that, I'm also really trying to phase out sugar. I realized that I've been relying on sugar, even natural sugar, too much. Um, it's not usually something that's in my abstinence, but now I've added it, and it's making me really feel the feelings, and not, I can't soothe them. I felt like I went to a very dark place where I, I felt myself saying, I am unhirable, nobody wants me, and I'm worthless. And it was just on repeat, on repeat, constantly. Um, but you know what, I, I got through it. And that feeling, it's not that the feeling went away, I walked through that feeling. I made the phone calls, did the outreach, I went to meetings, I acted as if 
smiled even though I did not want to, didn't feel like it. And I, I made it through. Um, and then on Friday, randomly, um, I was called about the job where they're like, you just show up for a month, this person's going to be out. Very small, low stress, kind of easy job, low paying. Are you available? And I said yes. And I remember before the Friday morning, afternoon, the Friday afternoon meeting, which is one of my home meetings. Um, and I showed up, and they offered me the job on the spot, and I got it. And I just started this week. Um, but I guess what's really getting me is that then this week, in my writing career, out of nowhere, I mean, maybe out of footwork, but I feel out of nowhere, I have now two, like, huge creative writing career offers, huge, that uh, are beyond my wildest dreams. So, um, I'm grateful, but I can't help but feel like, where was this five years ago? <laughs> or where was this on Monday, you know? Like, uh, where was this before I said yes to another job, really? Because it's, com- it's complicated, you, can't, you really can't do both. Um, and you know, I was talking to my mother, my mother's a very, very godly woman. And she actually said the exact same thing. She's like, you have, I have sat with you. You have struggled so, so much. And it's like, we want to celebrate this for you. But at the same time, it's like, just been through so much darkness. And she's like, I know God has your back, but goodness. Um, so I think this is a good time to back up and talk about um, how I recovered, how I came to the program. All of the above. Do you know how much time I have? Yeah, like eight minutes. Awesome. That's going to be a quick one. Um, but a lot of you have heard my, my story before. So basically, um, I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas. It was very jarring because I was born in Nigeria. Um, grew up in a very eclectic household and then came to Texas and experienced racism, isolation, and just feeling really lost for the first time. And that's when I consciously remember turning to food. Um, I joke that my family, we discovered, like, all-you-can-eat buffets and supersize, and <laughs> it was very exciting, but it's like, you know, for the normal person, it's just exciting. For me, that became, like, my refuge. I ate and ate and ate. Going to buffets was probably some of the happiest moments of my childhood, and uh, I gained weight rapidly to the point when I was uh, 13, I was almost wearing the same size as my mother. My mother is actually very overweight. I, I, I don't know she's a compulsive reader. I don't take her inventory, but she's very overweight. Um, and the doctor said, if you keep going like this, you uh, will die. You won't make it past. You will die. And um, so that's when I said, okay. And then I started going on diets. Um, through every single diet known, um, I also started uh, exercising. Um, and that's when the exercise bulimia kicked in. Um, but you know what happened is that I, you know, I started one summer and then came back to school in the fall, lost all this weight, and all of a sudden people saw me. People really, really noticed me. People started telling me how beautiful I was. Guys started talking to me. That never happened before. Um, it's like I had worth. And so immediately I thought, oh, okay, so to be thin and to lose weight means I have value. And so that was embedded, but of course that was leading to 
a really bad eating disorder to follow me all the way to college, um, where I did connect with a clinic uh, for eating disorders and got a level of recovery, but not really on the level of uh, food. And what is this strange relationship I have with food? Why can't I stop thinking about it? Why am I so addicted? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I moved to L.A. after college to, to start my creative pursuits, and, uh, but was so much in the disease that I uh, was really hit rock bottom. I was uh, binging, but then also starving, doing a lot of cleansing to the point that I was in the emergency room. Well, they knew my name. They knew me. They were like, oh, she's here again, you know. Um, from all the cleansing and purging and uh, purging through laxatives that I was doing. And um, really hit rock bottom even financially. I think I shared at the birthday party. It's funny, I shared that like for the first time to thousands of people that I got in trouble with the government because my disease was so out of control. Um, and if anyone who knows me, I'm a very honest, loyal, uh, upright person. Uh, so you, that was disease. That was where the disease led me to, to break the law. Um, so I went back. Uh, to Miami and that's uh, where I first found program um, it was a friend who had suggested who had kind of put the idea of a 12 step for recovery over this this baffling addiction to food because her brother had a baffling addiction to another substance and I literally googled is there a 12 step for people with uh, an addiction to food and OA popped up um, and I went to my first meeting um, and there was a man who, five minutes, a man who looked nothing like me from a completely different background, um, but who was, when he shared, I always say it was like he was reading my journal. I mean, the exact same behaviors, exercise, bulimia, binging, the breaking the law, the feeling of uh, self-worthlessness, and just really, really the disease uh, were all there. But then he ended the share on saying, uh, now I have a life beyond my wildest dreams. You know, I, I wake up and I look forward to every day. And I was like, wow, I want that and I will do whatever it takes. And so I did. I got a sponsor right away. And like I said, I, I came to program with a very strong relationship with a higher power. I just didn't realize that that higher power and this thing with food could coexist. So it was in these rooms that they did. I mean, they were literally in the, in the steps. God is part of this program. And so it felt like a great fit. And I, I feel like it's why, and I always share that it was why I found abstinence relatively quickly. God and me are like this in this program, walking hand in hand. And I still, still felt my traditional <laughs> Sunday religion also helped feed that. Um, so I guess as I kind of take things to an end it was that I guess it was the expectation it was the expectation that started getting to be a problem especially when things started not to work out um, for what I felt was my benefit I felt the promises were not coming true especially in this area of career um, but for today look I was just thinking about this and um, can I can I end early and then just Okay, because I try to. Oh man, <laughs> I'll talk really, really slow. How about that? <laughs> no, because you know I wanted to say, um, even though what happened this week, like I said, I, I don't understand. Even though there's a lot of pain, there's a bit of 
not a bit. There's there's resentment and there's a feeling of God. I don't I don't understand this. Um, there's the hard facts that uh, first of all this job. I don't know how long it's going to last. It's a temp job, but for today and for this week, um, it is in one of the parts of town I love the most. Um, it's right near a, a gym where I I'm, I go to every day, so I feel very much at home. It is like perfectly sized. It's like a big name, but still feels like a small family. Um, it is low that they have in their snack rooms all the snacks that I eat. I again because I have such a uh, stomach that's been ripped apart by years of purging. I I have all these sensitivities. I have to keep my food very clean, and this is a company that's built on clean eating. So the fridges <laughs> are stocked with all the foods that I can eat, which never happens ever. It's always the extreme opposite. Um, I have two people training me, which is a, a running joke because they're like, it takes two people to train someone. It's like, yeah, actually, I'm a slow learner, and this is my first time working a real job in I think 15 years, 15 years. And um, people have to literally guide my hand and show me what to press and how to answer the phone. Um, but they're there and they're doing it and they're lovely about it, absolutely lovely. And on the flip side, the creative job, one of the creative jobs is literally down the street from where I work. So, and they came around and said, you know what, we honor your day job and we're going to try to make it work, which never happens. A lot of people in my industry will know that never, never happens. And the other creative job said the same thing. We will try to make it work until it doesn't and then we'll take it from there. And everyone's being really accommodated. So I'm, I've been really taken care of and I realized that what I can focus on is my defects. Coming back to step six and getting into step seven of my defects is uh, the perfectionism and the beating up on myself. I found, I, you know, it's funny that I found myself unemployed and hopeless and saying to myself, I feel unlovable and worthless and unemployable. And now I'm in this amazing environment, so well taken care of, so nourished, and have this creative career coming. And I did something the other day at work where I messed up, I made a mistake. And I found myself saying the exact same thing. I'm unlovable, I'm unemployable, and worthless. And it's like, what a great reminder that it's not about the circumstances. I, I, tend to feel that way, but it's really about my attitude towards the circumstances. And this disease will take what is right now probably one of the best, best situations I can be in, literally, and try to ruin it and destroy it. And so that's, that's what I can hold on to. That is, when I, I can't think about God, but I can hold on to that and know that working the steps, working the recovery, I can address that voice so that I can be present and I can find joy. And that's all. This is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Thank you so much. Um, so, I totally get the whole God thing. So are you praying still, or how are you dealing with, like, with the daily basis? So, the question was, um, considering my struggle with God, um, and how am I 
connecting. Am I praying still? How am I connecting with higher power on a daily basis? Um, prayer for me looks like um, how can I work my recovery today? Um, what is uh, what you know defects am I working on? Uh, what is it my sponsors ask me to do or ask me to look at and really write about? Um, how can I be of service? That's huge. I think especially in those trying moments at this new job uh, with very trying personalities, um, how can I be of service to this person or even finding someone else? <laughs> you know, that's always been a thing where I redirect my energy to someone who's given me negative energy. I redirect to someone who might need me to give them positive energy. Um, and, you know, those, I know that those are godly principles. So I know that God is in all of that. But I no longer, I, I no longer, or I avoid saying, God, um, help me with this. I, and I, like I said, it, it just feels so strange. I don't encourage it. You know, I, I tell my sponsees and everyone, my fellows, you know, of course, do that because that's what works for you. For me, once I start saying that, I get, I twist it. And when things don't go right, I start pointing at God and blaming God and getting upset, you know, whereas when I do it this way, um, there is no one to blame. All I think is, okay, then what, what tool can I use in this moment? Or what, what is my part in this? That's huge. Because again, if the focus is always God, 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 why, 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 never looking at my part in it. So. What tools did you use? Do you use and did you use Okay. Uh, question is, what tools did I use and do I continue to use uh, through these these trying times? <laughs> um, meetings were the biggest. I think before, because I had all this free time of unemployment. Um, meetings were great and like I said the afternoon meetings especially were such a godsend when I first moved to LA because um, we don't have those in Miami I should <laughs> specify we don't really have daytime so those were really really great a great way to just get me through the day and just a lot of people offering to help me um, and just uh, more importantly though a reminder of uh, working my program and my recovery and putting all of that first before anything um but now that my days are so full, <laughs> um, I found that phone calls have been incredible, especially this week. Um, you know, now three calls a day, I look forward to them because I have this 45-minute commute on the way home that uh, instead of ruminating on, again, what I did wrong or what someone said or someone looked at me sideways and I didn't like it, I then make calls and I ask how other people are doing and it's, it's exciting to update people on what's going on with me as well. Um, you know, my food plan, um, thank goodness I really made that change of uh, phasing out sugar or just questioning it. I had an instance where, you know, it's not always perfect. Um, I still sometimes when I'm in a hurry, so I, I had a lunch break yesterday and uh, things got frazzled and I didn't have much time and I had to really just eat on the go and I grabbed something that I usually grab that 
has sugar. It just does. And I was like, you know, I just, I have to have this for now. And, you know, I write all my food, send it to my food sponsor and all that. But, um, you know, I had it and it was, it was okay. And then I got back to work. But you know what happened is um, my supervisor said something to me that if you guys heard it objectively, you'd be like, oh, all she said was, um, I don't understand why you're confused. Literally, that's, those are the words she said. I took it as... <laughs> What is wrong with you? Why can't you get this? Why are you so dumb? Why are you so slow? I showed you this like two or three times. The average person get this and you're just not getting it. You're unemployable and unlovable and worthless. And it felt like crazy, but it felt like that times a hundred. It's like, what's happening? And I realized it was 100% sugar. 100%. You know, because those feelings are there, but this was on overdrive. I had to like stand up and go and take a moment. And I felt, I felt it like pulsing through my veins. And it just shows that that substance for a lot of us is really palpable. And, um, you know, I was able to let it detox from my system and keep a cool head, but um, it just reinforced why it's, it's really something that I, I need to phase out because it's, um, it really can skew my concept of reality and, and, and cause destruction. So I guess those are the biggest ones. Yeah. Oh, thank you for your question. Um, sort of on that, I was wondering, um, given that you've been in the program for a long time, what, what happened to make you think that you should phase out sugar, or did something like that? Yeah, uh, the question was, uh, given I've been in program uh, for a long time, what happened that um, made you realize you need to start phasing out sugar or question it? Um, you know what's funny? I did a share a couple, like a month or two ago, where I spoke where I tracked um, my, the changes in my food plan. Because when I first, I should say, when I first came to program and got abstinent, I had a very open food plan. Pretty much everything was on it. Um, and tell me and my sponsor worked it. And it was more about portions and weighing and measuring everything and reporting everything and eating full meals. Because I came to the program, you know, going from one dessert to another. And I'd never, I'd never in my life really allowed myself to have just three full meals a day. That was the focus. Then, like two or three years in, I started feeling certain foods were getting too exciting, too sexy, as people say. And uh, I like, couldn't wait to eat it, couldn't stop thinking about it. And at first, it was flour. Um, that also was just something digestively was not working. So phasing that out. Uh, but in general, a lot of like kind of starchy foods phasing out and then I guess um, you know sugar recreational sugar that was pretty easy I don't really eat I phased out junk food pretty fast I don't eat desserts I would say desserts are a word that I cringe you know anytime people say dessert I'm like no <laughs> please keep that away from me um, but it was more kind of like the healthy food and I think you know it's, it's just one of those things your body I, I'm, I'm aging as my doctor says because <laughs> I'm just like why is this happening he's like it's called aging well, welcome to your uh, middle age so I think some of it is that um, but I think it's kind of what I spoke of before I noticed that I would eat these foods first of all I'd find myself looking forward to these foods too much um, <laughs> eating too much of them you know it should be one cup and it's like a bowl and it just being a, a problem someone said I know when food is a problem when it becomes a problem. That 
make sense? Like, it'll be sitting in your cabinet, it's not a problem, then all of a sudden it's a problem. And that's what I knew, that I needed to address it. And it's, again, it has not been easy. I don't do it perfectly. I will never be 100% abstinent. In general, I just, I'm not 100% abstinent from anything. But I do my best, and I try to step on trees. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for your share. Thanks for sharing about your week. Uh, you said something uh, that it wasn't in terms of circumstances. You said circumstance—it's not about what the circumstances are, but what my attitude towards the circumstance is. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. Yeah, so the question was um, talking about circumstances. It was actually uh, I was on a online, and a famous person actually said it as their like soulful quote for the day and it was like it's not about our circumstances it's our attitudes towards them and it felt in that moment so like ugh because in that moment I was I was in the circumstances and I was like nope it's the circumstances actually and I was like the only reason she's the only reason she's saying this is because her circumstances are amazing <laughs> billions of dollars and her name in the dictionary so circumstances are pretty good um, <laughs> but you know, I I went back and um, I think especially working step six with my sponsor, um, I realized there was truth to that. I think um, it really helped me through the dark times because now I can smile, I can say wonderful things, I can have this wonderful share. But that's not how it was last week. But you you saw me. I was still here, and um, I. I focused on what I could be grateful for. I focused on uh, showing up, doing service, doing the footwork. Uh, I focused on what was what was working, I guess, what was going well. Um, I focused on, you know, just the wonderful people in these rooms um, and the wonderful friends I've made um, in this very challenging career path. Um, and so, yeah, that was the attitude shift. And it's, it's like, duh, of course, you focus on the good and not the bad. Yes, I get it. But, um, but it's, not, it's not always easy. And I, I find when I, again, uh, funnel it through making it part of, like, my 10th step, literally, my 10th step, I have a section of focusing on how, what I did today for my abstinence and what I'm grateful for. That's when, um, you know, I'm living kind of like in the light rather than the dark, so. Yes. Do you have a daily ritual? Do I have a daily ritual? Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, wait, when I wake up, um, I read from, usually for today, something about that book always has a quote or something someone wrote that has everything to do with what I'm facing that day or what I went to night, what, I, what I went to sleep ruminating on. So um, I love it. I, I usually take it everywhere I go. Um, and then usually I do my 10th step. I usually turn it in to my, email it to my sponsor in the morning. Because um, it's a good way to kind of decompress from the day and, again, focus everything around program. Um, I try to make um, meditation. So uh, meditation is something that 
I just don't like doing. Again, I think any that's being in my head and isolating and thinking is sometimes a little too triggering for me. So actually meditation for me, I usually do meditation music, whether it's gospel or just some song that's speaking to me and giving me serenity, peace, hope. Um, I will play that and listen to it, whether it's you know now on the way to work or just before I really get my day started. Um, I, <clears throat> I do that. Um, outreach calls, meetings. Um, also exercise, that's a big part of my recovery, um, not just for the physical benefits. Um, also to counter my exercise, believe me, I actually have to report my exercise and limit it because I can just exercise all day. Um, but it's also something that brings me a lot of joy. And I, I actually am a, a dancer, so I do a lot of dance classes. And oh my gosh, they've saved me through so many tough times. It's like instant joy and instant um, recovery. So that really helps um, a lot. And I guess those are like the biggest things. Oh, and then uh, usually when I go to bed is when I, uh, I'm usually on my phone. And it was one of those things I wanted to like put down the phone and pick up the big book or put down the phone and pick up my journal. But I wouldn't. And I would just be on my phone, on social media, looking at everyone's amazing lives and wondering my, why my life doesn't look like theirs. <laughs> so what I did was I got real savvy and I downloaded the big book and uh, I take pictures of the 12 and 12 um, and then also started downloading podcasts and listening to those. And I try to do that um, before I go to sleep every night. Anyone else? Yeah. Um, thanks for sharing with me. Um, do you have people in your life who are constitutionally capable of being honest with themselves? People <laughs> that you can't necessarily detach from completely, but if you have them, Oh, yes. question was, do I have people in my life that are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves, and how do I detach with love? That's a great sentence. Detach with love. Um, my brothers are, both have schizophrenia. It is horrendous. It is really, really horrendous to see them. For them, it's just this baffling, incurable disease that gets worse and worse every year. Um, for my older brother especially, he's still trying to cling on to sanity, but it's, it's, he's losing his mind every year and doesn't realize it. Um, so he is someone who is extremely challenging because I, uh, it's horrible what's happening to him. I can't even fathom how it feels to go through that. But at the same time, it is really trying. It is really, really trying. He'll send me paragraphs of just, he's so smart. So they're very well-structured and well-written and well-researched paragraphs, but it's just complete delusion. Um, and it comes from a place of wanting to help. You know, I'll tell him, oh, I'm having some back pains. And he'll go research about how, you know, scientists are implanting things in people and that must be what's going on and so many pages and pages and then ask me, did you read it? Did you read it? <laughs> Let's discuss this. And it's just like, oh, it's tough. It's really, really tough. Um, so I detached, I didn't respond to that. But what I could do that was loving was... Uh, like when I first got this job... Um, 
he was the first person I called because I knew like that would mean a lot to him and he felt like very like important <laughs> so I just try to do like little things like that ask him dating advice he loves that he really loves giving his little sister dating advice <laughs> he really does he loves like fixing my uh, dating profiles he is an expert on men because he is a man <laughs> he was also single and trying to date he thank you so those kind of things you know I can do and be loving and, and generally you know connect with them on that so is that that's it all right <laughs>